0: Today we return to the book of Hebrews. In the 11th chapter, you want to turn to verse 20. Oh, yes, I'm not, I haven't forgotten that. It, it was uh, very nice to have all of you ladies at our place yesterday. And you came and went uh, without that many cars on the place, which was amazing. And only one of you left one item, which Mary Pat will now hold up. (laughs) If this is yours, yeah, it's a lightweight sweater. If this is yours and you thought it was going to be cold yesterday and found out it wasn't, and then forgot about it, please pick it up from her afterward. Join me, if you will, in prayer. Lord, we come again in the 11th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews to this list of the faithful across the centuries from your word. We ask that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would ground us in our faith by their example, through the grace and the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ such that all that we are and all that we do and all that we say may be pleasing in your sight and help to bring others who do not know you personally to the place of faith in you forever. In Christ we pray, amen. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph lived in the shadow of God's plan revealed through promises and prophecies. They all had their difficulties They all had their weaknesses and failures, but each of them trusted God and responded in faith to his plan as he revealed it. Joseph lived most of his life as an alien in Egypt, but as death approached, as we're reminded briefly here, he exhorted others to believe God's promise That is, God's promised plan of deliverance, and he directed that his remains be taken out of Egypt when the exodus would take place, which he counted on, believed would happen, but did not live to see. Despite the fact that his palaces, his great riches were in Egypt, and even though the great achievements of Joseph's life We're all there. The earthly monuments to his wisdom and skill in saving the nation from famine. Joseph nevertheless knew that the future, his future, and anyone's real future lay with the promises of God. Demonstrating this and encouraging generations of enslaved Israelites about the exodus to come. Joseph directed that his bones be taken for burial in the tomb of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the promised land. If he could not live there in life, he would go there in death, trusting in the God of promise. The faith of all three of these men was spiritual. The faith of all three was thus forward-looking. None of them experienced the fulfillment of the promises that they had been given when they died, but they looked ahead in faith to what God would do in the future, and it guided them as to how they lived in the presence. We, as well, know that God has a plan in our lives But we don't always know exactly how God will carry out his plan. We might think of Joseph in Genesis 48 putting his two sons before his father Jacob for blessing. He put Ephraim at Jacob's rather left side and he put Manasseh, his older son, at Jacob's right side. Understanding and assuming that it would be Manasseh who would receive the special blessing from Jacob at his right side. But Jacob reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head on his left side. And then crossing over, he reached out and put his left hand on Manasseh's head. Seeing that, Joseph took hold of his father Jacob's right hand and literally put it on Manasseh's head. And he said, not so, my father, for this one, Manasseh is the firstborn, place your right hand, your hand of ultimate blessing on his head. Nevertheless, Jacob refused and he crossed his arms again, reminding us that we cannot assume God's plan, or take the details of God's plan over our lives for granted. God often surprises us, and we must keep looking to Him and not assume that we will know just how it is that God will work. God, our God, starts things in unexpected places, and He does things through unexpected people, all to show. That he, not we, he is the one who orchestrates his plan according to his own secret will. God is often glorified as he works his ways contrary to normal expectations. After all, we can think of example after example. God took the chief of sinners and the persecutor of the church, Saul of Tarsus, and made him the apostle Paul the apostle of grace. God took a sin-obsessed monk, Martin Luther, and through him returned the gospel to his church. A few centuries ago, a small number of children who left the land of the greatest worldly power small number I should have said of God's children they were not children all of them but adults left the land of the greatest worldly power at the time and God proceeded over time to raise up a nation largely sold out to him a nation that would have worldwide gospel impact and that of course is our nation the United States in our time God makes Christianity, in so many cases, burn brightest in poor and downtrodden places in Asia and in Africa. This is because it has ever glorified our God to work at cross purposes to the wisdom of the world. He is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being That which does not exist, Romans 4, verse 17. Remember, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they were all younger sons. But they were the ones that God gave special blessing to. They were the ones that God used in a special way, not according to the normal procedure of Judaism which would have laid the greater blessing always on the eldest son. They received, did Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, their position according to grace by faith. And that's how God operates in the world. God's will cannot be forced into conformity with human patterns and preconceptions. He works in the sphere of human weakness. The line of the promise is not the line of the flesh, but the line of faith. That's the emphasis throughout this 11th chapter. God's plan does not fail in spite of human failure. Isaac was a weak man. Jacob was a cheat. Joseph was a victim But through these three, God worked his plan toward his desired end. We must never judge God's intentions by the appearance of our circumstances. Do your circumstances perhaps right now look bleak, perhaps in ways that no one else knows? Do your circumstances look frustrating? Do they look impossible or painful Are you wondering, perhaps, if God really cares? Maybe even wondering if he's really there. Is he really real? Take heart. God always works good for those who trust him, though it may not appear so. Jesus Christ reigns on the throne of heaven, and history is leading to his exaltation as Lord of Lords. History has indeed a glorious goal, but it also has a central point, a fulcrum upon which all else turns, and that is that God's Son came and lived and died on a cross. History is about him. History is, as many have said, his story. So this we know for sure. Everything leads either to life through faith in Christ, or death and condemnation to those who reject his name. Look now at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Considering the reproach of Christ, Moses, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith Moses, verse 23. Well, of course, by the faith of his parents, Amram and Jochebed, Moses was preserved and nurtured, fearful of the growing number of Jews that Pharaoh... The Pharaoh, rather, ordered all Jewish parents at the time to put to death any sons born to them. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 22. So Amram and Jochebed had two choices. They could kill their son Moses and save themselves, or they could save Moses and risk their own lives. There was no other alternative, no middle way here. Not fearing the king's edict because of their faith, they hid Moses. That sounds contradictory to some. If they weren't afraid of the king's edict, why not parade Moses about in public and simply defy the king? Wasn't hiding Moses a sign of their fear? Well, not in this case because of the double threat. Not fearing for their own lives, Amram and Jacobed risked torture and death to themselves and refused to give in to, the, to Pharaoh's edict. By faith, they risked their own lives and didn't kill their baby boy. But they did hide him. Some immature Christians have therefore said that Amram and Jacobed showed faith but not full faith, not strong faith. If they had really been faithful, they would have boldly and publicly shown their infant son around the community in godly defiance of Pharaoh's wicked law. No, Amram and Jochebed were faithful, willing to risk themselves out of love for their son, but also showing godly faithful wisdom by hiding him. To have paraded Moses around openly would have been presumptuous. It would have been a bit like, when you think about it, when Satan tempted Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Had Jesus decided to jump off the pinnacle of the temple to see if God would catch him, that would have been presumptuous. Faithfulness never forces God's hand living by faith is risky it's dangerous but it's also a matter of applying submissive godly wisdom it's like following god's call to live and work in a rough inner city neighborhood but still prudently using deadbolt locks on your doors it's like following god to be a missionary in some foreign country disease-stricken, perhaps, country, but still wisely getting appropriate vaccinations and medical treatments. Faith is being like Daniel, obeying God's law and refusing to defile himself with the king's choice food. Rather, rather what he did was ask permission to have a special diet. He didn't simply defy the king and square off in a way that would have made a blunt and difficult confrontation. He sought permission from the king and received it to have a different diet. We know from Exodus 2 that Moses' mother hid him in a wicker basket along the bank of the Nile River where he was found by Pharaoh's daughter all of this was observed by moses older sister miriam who then offered to pharaoh's daughter to find help to care for moses she was in, in engaged to do that and she went and brought moses mother Jochebed, whom pharaoh's daughter told to take moses and to nurse him sometimes we have the impression that Jacobed maybe came and stayed with uh moses in the palace no Pharaoh's daughter said, take Moses and nurse him. And while it's not clear then in the text how long Moses' parents had him before he was returned to Pharaoh's daughter, it does seem that Moses' parents' faith may have impacted him and likely, perhaps, he always knew that he was Hebrew, which Pharaoh's daughter acknowledged from when she first saw him. Whatever the details were, Moses, when he's an adult in Pharaoh's court, didn't go along with the flow of the sinful society that he lived in. (laughs) Publicly Egyptian, but in his heart Hebrew. Moses wrestled between masquerading as royalty in a life that wasn't really him and embracing his true Hebrew identity, openly embracing it as a member of the people of God. Moses' choice was comfort and privilege in the house of Egypt, which was readily available to him as the adopted son of the princess of Egypt, or persecution and suffering with his people, the Israelites. He chose, ultimately, God's heavenly reward, as we read in Hebrews 11, verse 26, as greater than the vast wealth of Egypt. This choice was not a youthful whim on Moses' part, caught up in a wave of emotion. It was an act of faithfulness inspired by deep trust in the character and in the promises of God. Moses recognized the vanity of Pharaoh's house and the all-surpassing worth of obedience to God. From a worldly standpoint, Moses was sacrificing everything for nothing. That's the way the world would look at his choice. From a spiritual standpoint, he was sacrificing nothing for everything. He renounced the world's power and honor and prestige for the sake of God. And he knew that for doing so, he would gain immeasurably more than he would lose, for he was looking to the reward. Verse 26 in our passage. The things of the world, the things rather that the world counts great, have nothing to do with what God considers great. He honors people on a totally different basis than our world does. He's not interested in what family we came from. He's not interested in how much money we have. He's not interested in how much education we may have attained. He's not interested in what positions we hold. Such things are just not related to God's primary concerns for us we notice that while Moses gave up the power and prestige of the palace to serve God, to his dying day, Joseph didn't give up his elevated status among the Egyptians. Both men served God sacrificially. Both men had a heart after the Lord. Neither man was wedded to the world. But in their varying circumstances, faithfulness to to God, called for different paths, different choices. Moses left worldly honor and power behind at a time and in a place where alignment with the royal house was seen as being next to divinity. And he gave up the pleasures of sin which seem always available to those in high position and which were certainly part and parcel of life in pharaoh's court readily available he gave it all up for the privilege of mistreatment with god's people to share in the disgrace of christ many have sought to evangelize with promises of how wonderful the christian life is moses presents a truer picture. To be a Christian, you must give up the world and embrace Christ, embrace the cross. But such an embrace brings a higher reward, a different sort of reward, spiritual peace now and untold riches later. G.A.F. Knight said in his commentary, Whatever Moses' social position, if he had remained on as a member of Egyptian society, all we would know of him now would be as a name on a mummy in a British museum. Instead, we find Moses' name in the hall of God's own beloved heroes. What causes a person to make a choice such as Moses made? faith. That's the core message of the passage. Moses believed that the Israelites, while they were enslaved, were the people of God. He understood that the Egyptians, who were wielding power and enjoying wealth, were actually in opposition to the true God. Their pleasures were the sinful ones. Israel's afflictions were the holy ones. It seems that Moses understood that Israel's God, Yahweh, was the true God. And thus, the many gods of the Nile were false idols. Better, therefore, to be one of God's people, even in a state of affliction. Now, Moses didn't choose affliction for its own sake. Whoever wants that? He chose affliction with the people of God, verse 25. With the people of God is where we should always want to be because that's where God is working. That's where he has purposes for good. That's where true wonders are seen. That's where saving grace is found. That's where flowers bloom in a desert where a river flows that makes glad the city of God, whether in blessing or in affliction. To the mind of faith with the people of God is always the place to be. It's the place where we belong and where we will be so far as we are able to choose. When need be, we will be with the people of God as slaves in Egypt so that we might be with the people of God as God's royal children in glory. Therein, Moses chose to share in the mistreatment of God's people and he also shared in the reproach or the disgrace of Christ. Considering, I read again verse 26, the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus, who lived several hundred years before Christ, said that the chief end of life is pleasure. But Epicurus was not a hedonist, as many have assumed. He was talking about pleasure in the long view ultimate pleasure, not immediate, temporary gratification. Epicurus held that we should pursue that which in the end will bring the most satisfaction. Understood the right way, that should also be our objective as Christians. Christians are not masochists, Quite the contrary, we live for ultimate and permanent pleasure, not temporary, worldly pleasure. We live in the certainty that whatever discomfort or pain we may have to endure for Christ's sake on earth, and we may have to endure much, it will be more than compensated for by an eternity of unending bliss and pleasure that we cannot now even imagine. That was essentially John Piper's point in his book, Desiring God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. Not a worldly hedonist, not a hedonist after the pleasures of this world or the pleasures of sin, but after the pleasures to be gained in God for eternity, which outclass and just are far greater than anything we could imagine imagine here and now. Many look to the choice that Moses made Made and think what a fool he was to have all that power and all the honor and all the pleasure and all the wealth of this world, the very thing that multitudes of people spend their lives seeking after, only to throw them all away as Moses did. That, the world thinks, is a crazy, a foolish choice but that's not what Moses faith saw so then I think we have to ask ourselves what does my faith see as I look around myself do we see so many things around us that we feel we must just have do we see so many things and feel that we must just enjoy those? Do we see the affliction of God's people and the reproach of Christ and really think we'd rather not have that? If so, then you or I are seeing with different eyes, with a different faith than Moses saw. And we will reap a different reward. Moses might have thought very differently than he did, and few would have have objected. Moses might have thought to spurn the love of an adoptive mother, well, surely that would be an evil thing. But he knew that God is greater than any mother or father or lover or friend. Moses might have listened to the thought, that by remaining in Egypt and suppressing his convictions he could do more good than by leaving he might have chosen to be one of those who stay where they ought not stay like Lot sitting in Sodom's gate there is a myth of influence that afflicts many out of place Christians yes well I am allied with unbelief and injustice and evil, but it's worth it for the good that I believe I will be able to do. Moses didn't rationalize in that way. Yes, of course, some are called to serve in Pharaoh's court, like Joseph in Egypt, like Daniel in Babylon. But both of them arrived in their positions through circumstances out of their control and, most importantly, without a real choice to leave. That was clearly the case with Daniel, but even Joseph could see how clearly he had been positioned to help his own people, Israel, indeed his own family and brothers who had so rejected him. Not really so with Moses whose circumstances of high placement in an evil empire were quite different. And not so with many Christians who choose to be aligned with evil in some way because of the alleged good that they think or they say they may do, but they never seem to do, as both Joseph and Daniel most obviously did. Wise discernment, therefore, is always needed. Judging the choices of others without really knowing enough about their circumstances is never helpful. But the fact remains that many do rationalize and fellowship with the world when, like Moses, they should step away, whatever the cost to self. But how can we say, verse 26, that Moses knew of the reproach of Christ when Christ only came so many centuries after Moses. Well, he knew it by prophetic revelation. First, the very storyline of the Old Testament rests squarely on the promise of a coming Messiah. Moses' mistreatment ultimately points to Jesus, the one who would come to redeem his people. Moses himself wrote of a prophet who would come, who would be greater than he was, and who would fulfill God's promises. Deuteronomy eighteen verses fifteen to twenty-two. The covenant prophe- promises of the Old Testament that the Old Testament saints believed in all find their fulfillment in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter one and verse twenty. Moses' faith was faith in Jesus, faith in the coming Messiah, which is something we find plainly stated in the Gospels. Remember when Nathanael brought his brother Philip to meet Jesus? He said, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. John 1, verse 45. Later, Jesus said to the Jews, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me, John 5, verse 46. Much of what Moses came to know about Jesus came after his decision to leave the house of Pharaoh. But this much we surely know, that God, that rather we know he knew that God would send a Savior to bring a kingdom. By faith he also knew before a real crown there lay a cross. Before reward, there is suffering and sacrifice. Moses was looking for the one who would redeem Israel and the reproach he endured because he identified with the Israelites, bore witness to the reproach that Christ would bear for his people. In choosing persecution over the fleeting pleasures of sin and how often are we given those same choices, Moses acted in accord with his faith in God's promise. The reward of such faith is greater than everything this world can offer. But so often, we choose what the world offers rather than what God does. Indulging in sin will bring great pleasure, but that pleasure is only a temporary pleasure. Joining Jesus in reproach, as Moses did, brings everlasting reward and unending joy." Valedictorian of her high school class here in Cincinnati, biology degree from Indiana Wesleyan University, Cheryl Beckett served with a team of medical missionaries in Afghanistan. They hiked by foot into northern Afghanistan to minister there to poor villagers, people who were nothing in the world's eyes. On their way back to Kabul on August 5th, 2010, Beckett and her fellow missionaries were surrounded by a group of Taliban insurgents who shot them to death, accusing them of being spies trying to spread Christianity. Spies. No. Missionaries seeking to live out their faith, who sacrificed comfortable lives in America to reach and help people whom no one else ever cared about, yes. Dying self, dying to self, denying self, and living for something greater than personal comfort and security. You don't have to travel halfway around the world to do it. You don't have to become physically poor to do it. You don't have to give up seeking contentment in God. You can seek that contentment and you can seek His way, but what you will have to give up is seeking your contentment and your happiness in the treasures of this world. And you will have to allow Jesus to use you, however and wherever he wishes. You do have to repent of indulging in the passing pleasures of sin and pursue a life of obedient service for the glory of Christ rather than for selfish gain. Will you and I make the sort of choice that Moses made? Or will we turn to the opposite? Will we live by faith and live it out? Or will we refrain from doing so for temporary gain? Let's pray. Father, we have... Believed in you and trusted in you, and yet we are brought to choices, it seems, virtually on a daily basis of what we will live for and how we will conduct our lives and why and how we will make decisions. May we be found faithful like Moses, even when the cost perhaps to us in the near is great may we see clearly the future that Moses saw and the blessings that come, even though we little may understand them in fullness, may we see clearly that that is the path that we ought to take. That is the path that glorifies and honors you and in turn, in you, in Christ, brings glory and honor to our lives. May we make these faithful choices and impact a world in need all around us. We pray in Christ. Amen. Rise, if you will, for the benediction. May you be blessed. May you be strengthened as you choose to side with Jesus in everything and everywhere. Depart in him, in his peace. Amen.